You're listening to the Frio 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 Music Podcast. To the Frio Music Podcast. episode of the Frio Music Podcast. In this episode, I get to chat with Trevor Moontribe of the Desert Dwellers. Now, Trevor is a electronic music producer of the highest caliber, and we get to chat about how he got introduced to the type of music that has influenced his sound, and beyond that, uh, some of the strategies, tips, and tricks that he uses to create collaborations, uh, remixes, and ultimately cultivate sounds uh, that are unique and collaborations that really uh, bring to life different viewpoints of the same song. So I hope you enjoy this one. Stay tuned. Particular artists in maybe the acid house scene or the the rave scene that drew you in like yeah wow, first, that's impressive uh the first dj that i heard that i really liked was uh, doc martin in los angeles and um and then i heard the like frankie bones from new york and and um the wicked djs from san francisco garfiniano and that was, those were pretty much the DJs that really caught my attention. And, and then it just kind of went from there. Nice. Nice. All right. So, so you put the guitar away and what was the next thing you picked up? Did you just move straight to the laptop or did you? No, there were no laptops then. It was 1992. Actually it was 19. Yeah, it was, it was 1992, end of 91. Um, and I got, a Roland W30 synthesizer uh, workstation, which was a sequencer uh, keyboard in one. And um, I got a a Roland drum machine and um, a Juno, Roland Juno synth. And I think that was it at first. I I think I had a wave station not too long after that, a Korg wave station and some other Yamaha rack mount thing. And I mean, at first everything was just like on a 3.5, you know, megabyte floppy disk in the W30. And I didn't actually know that you could make music on computers at first. I, it took me a little while. I met some other producers that were older than me and cause I was 17, 18 at the time. And so I met some other producers and they showed me their studio and how they were making music on a computer. And I was like, Oh, okay. That makes it a lot easier. <laughs> well, I'm curious. That's a little bit before my time, but uh, how did you manage floppy disks? Like, you know, was it only a loop on it? How much space no, could you really you, fit? I mean, you couldn't fit much on it, but basically I, I actually did live performances with that setup and the drum machine that I had had bass sounds and, and other sounds on it. So you can only have one song loaded on the floppy disk at a time. And so I would have the song and I would play the song 
And then in between, I would jam on the drum machine with bass lines and stuff while I was loading the next disc. And it was like a frantic situation where you're like, how long can I keep people interested with this on the drum machine while I load this next disc and then switch to the next song? It was definitely really a wonky way of doing it. And, you know, I didn't go, I had no real idea what I was doing. I was kind of making up this process as I went. And I remember when um, my friends that were involved in a group called Electric Sky Church, um, when they, I played at a house party of theirs before we had met just randomly through some friends and, and they just couldn't believe that I was pulling off what I was doing with my setup. They were just like, how are you even doing this? You know? And, and they just thought it was amazing and funny. And, and then they showed me their studio and they're like, you got to get a computer and, you know, and this and that. And so not long after that, I got a computer. That's great. Well, I have, um, I mean, I think that's amazing how you got started. And I think that there is a benefit to getting started with less like if you were just a brand new musician today and you had a million dollar studio, you wouldn't know what to do in it. So I think it's really helpful to have that creative limitation. Uh, yeah. And well, you really now we have YouTube. And yeah, yeah, true. So what song in the last few months or six months or so have you been listening to or sharing with friends or have just really stuck out like, wow, that's a that's a cool track. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. I, I've really been getting back into the sort of electro breaks sound. It really reminds me of when I was a kid and breakdancing first started. It has that same beat. And um, there's a couple really cool tracks. Like Carl Finlow has a couple really cool tracks. And, and um, yeah, I don't know if there's a particular song that really stands out to me. I mean, I really like the last David August album. His, his track, D'Angelo, is a really cool track. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if nice. there's like an actual song that I've been, I haven't really been sharing. I don't really like post a lot of songs and, and share songs with friends so much, actually. I just kind of well, you make them and go and then just yeah. like constantly in the studio. It's, it's not really something that I do. Fair enough. Some of our listeners are musicians starting out today so this one might be more directed at them but um what purchase have you made recently that's like you know last couple years hundred dollars or less that has improved your life it, it could be anything it could be like new shoes or you know a new instrument cable or or whatever but is there anything <laughs> that you purchased that uh has improved your life well I guess when it, I mean, if it comes to music stuff, I think the plug-in Ovox from from Waves has to be the most impressive plug-in that I've found in a very long time, and I just just can't stop using it. It's so cool, and it doesn't it's not even just for vocals. Like you can use it on all kinds of songs, and it's just such a crazy, crazy instrument to play with. Cool, great. What? failure have you experienced that helped set you up for success or it could be a perceived failure like maybe in other people's eyes it was a failure but for you it helped set the stage for what was to come i mean i've had many moments where gigs and 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 things just didn't happen and didn't work out and i think that you know you just 
really making music has to be something that you're doing because you really enjoy it and it's like just you have a passion about it and you know most people won't just find success with it so easily i think it just like it's something that you have to keep going with and not necessarily have the focus of finding success but just making music because you like to make music and, and just making music that you enjoy and that you want to present to the world but um you definitely have to release your music and get it out there you know, i think my biggest failure early on was not completing music and not not finishing my tracks and getting them out to the world i mean there's so many songs over the years that just never saw the light of day because I just didn't finish them. And I think that you have to finish your music and you have to release it. You can't hold on to it. Yeah, that's great. So out of curiosity, is there like a time window that you need to release that track before it goes stale or like, can you go back? Probably only stale to you because you've heard it so much. Yep. Um, Most of the music that is released these days has was made quite you know, many months ago or even a year ago or more. You know, artists are used to signing their track to a label or being done with a track and it doesn't come out for a long time unless you self-release everything on Bandcamp or something. For sure. I think that you, you brought up a great point about releasing music. And I'm just curious because, uh, you know, I talk to various musicians and, and everybody kind of has a different feel over what is releasable. Uh, you know, not every song maybe makes the cut. Uh, how do you deal with that and keep moving forward and, you know, producing such high quality material? I mean, I feel like if a track is finished, then you should release it. Um, obviously, if you absolutely can't stand the track, then, you know, that's fine. If we all make something that we don't really like. I have songs that are released that I don't really like. Um, but I've also found that songs that aren't my favorite sometimes are what everybody else loves. Um, you know, my particular taste doesn't appeal to everybody all the time and is different than other people. So, you know, a lot of times you may dislike something and that's going to be the song that everybody loves. And I know a lot of musicians that their most famous track is not their favorite track. Um, so, yeah, I think that if the song is done, then release it. You know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, people don't like it. You didn't like it. Okay, whatever. Like, I mean, if it's really something that's awful, then of course, probably don't release it. But Fair I think enough. you'll know in the process if a song is pretty terrible and maybe you just don't finish it. Maybe throw it away and do something else. Yeah. So that, that kind of leads nicely into kind of an outstanding question that I've had. When do you know a song is done? Well, a lot of people get too caught up in in uh, changing tracks constantly and never being done with something. And and I know a lot of musicians are like this, and most musicians are like that. But I think that you finish your arrangement, you mix the song. And it's done. I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, you're going to, you're probably always going to find something you wish you could change about a song, but you have to let go of that. You know, that, 
that sort of thing is like, it can help you to a point, but I, I find that at a certain point, if the song is, if the arrangement is done and you're just being super picky and, you know, just getting too nitty gritty about it, then, you know, I don't know. You're just probably not going to make it better, you know, a lot of the time. So maybe just let it go and release it because, yeah, it can be a problem. You know, you hold on to it for too long and you hear it too many times and you're always just like, you're growing more tired of it. And so then you want to change it. But actually the song was fine and it was done, you know, two weeks ago. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta watch it with that. That can be, that can be problematic. Nice. So kind of breaking down an individual song to like a track or a sample that you're working with, uh, like desert dwellers music is so clear and textured and refined that I, I kind of wonder how do you work with a particular track or sample or, or, you know, instrument and refine it to that, you know, perfect window of like, uh, not overdoing it, but working with it so that it's unique. Well, I mean, I'm not sure if we feel that way about all our music. <laughs> um, you know, maybe, maybe now if we could go back to our last album, we'd probably do some things different because you know, we've learned a lot. And, you know, recently we're going through our, the, the, uh, the elements of our last album to find pieces to put in our live sets over the new remixes. And as I go back to those things, I'm like, God, we did a horrible job EQing these sounds. You know, we did, we really needed to put better effects on that. Or we really needed to you know, do something better with this. And now I'm having to fix things. Um, so, I mean, really it just depends on where you're at with your skill set and, and the recording you have or the part you have. But I, in a lot of tutorials that I watch and a lot of musicians I listen to, they always say to try and start with a good sound. You know, try it if you're picking a kick drum, go through your kick drums until you find one that sounds really good with the track and is the right sound to, to use. Because a lot of times you just settle for something and I think that's a mistake. Like you should definitely try to make sure that the sounds you're starting with are really high quality sounds. So you don't feel like you keep needing to add more or you need to change stuff. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. But... No, it's a, it's a good, it's a good one. Uh, you got to start with something high quality and then, and then work with it and kind of like releasing a track. You might always hear something that you could have tweaked or you should have added more reverb or, dampen this or change that yeah. i find myself replacing sounds as a song progresses you start with one thing and then you write a bunch of music and then all of a sudden the drums you made to begin with or the bass you made to begin with no longer works and so you have to scrap it and save it for something else or whatever nice all right so if you could get the entire world to listen to one artist it could be yourself or one song, who would you choose? Entire world to one artist. <laughs> I don't know. That's really tough because 
I've had so many musical inspirations from the time I was a kid until now. So it changes constantly. Um, I mean, if we're talking of the modern era, the past like 15 years or something like that, and, you know, probably Simon Posford's music in general. I mean, I would say Spongle and his younger brother project and things like that are probably some of the most interesting stuff, the most well thought out and psychedelic anyways. But if I wasn't trying to show somebody something really weird and psychedelic, then maybe it would be something different. Fair enough. I know you, you mentioned you played the guitar and you put that away, but um, you know, I noticed over your shoulder, it looks like you got a keyboard. Uh, do you play other instruments? I mean, I play a little bit of keyboard just from making electronic music over the years. I'm not like a proficient piano player or something like that. Um, I still use, I use a lot of tools to help me make the right choices when I'm picking chords or scales and stuff like that. You know, I have a lot of scale charts that I go by and, you know, chord charts and stuff like that because I don't know how to read music. Um, so, but as I've gotten older, I can look at written music and start to understand it a bit more. And, you know, I just never sat down and learned how to read music. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't never like set up a keyboard and play keyboards for people. Yeah. But I wouldn't do that with a guitar anymore either because I, I don't practice and you know, my fingers are no longer in shape to do it. It's a, it's a sort of exercise that you have to do to play guitar well. You have to play regularly. Absolutely. Yeah, I heard, uh, I read Santana's biography. He had a good one. Uh, he, he was talking about preheating the oven. Basically, when you're playing, it's like you're preheating the oven. And if you stop playing, it's like the oven goes, temperature goes down, then you put the pizza in. Yeah, it just well, I mean, with out. guitar, you have to have uh, calluses on your fingertips. Or the strings yeah. really hurt your fingers. And when you first start playing guitar, it hurts your fingers to play um, for very long. And right now, if I pick up the guitar, it really actually hurts my fingers quite quickly. So I, I would need to practice every day like you do when you're learning. And when you're wanting to be a good guitar player, you practice every day. I would need to do that for at least a few months to start to be good again. Fair enough. But I have no desire to do that. So I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, that's all good. Uh, so so when you, uh, you mentioned chord charts and um, scales, is there any uh, particular source that you go to is there any like scales or or keys that you kind of revert to or we often make our music in minor scales but i have uh just i downloaded on online a long time ago just a, a scales and chord uh, midi file thing and yep. so i can just import those into logic and you know i can be like oh, okay i want to try something and you know G minor or whatever scale it is, and I can drag that into Logic, and it it shows me the scale, and it shows me all the different chord progressions. It's actually That's quite cool. helpful. But nice. now there's software that does it, like uh, Captain Chords does that, and there's a few other ones that are out there that just give you a bunch of chord things. Even my Logic software, you know, can will transform your MIDI notes into whatever scale you want or whatever. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned Logic. That's your primary DAW? Yeah. Cool. Nice. And so in some of your music, I hear like, I don't know if it's sitar or, you know, it's a uh, world 
you know, sounding music, but there's like ripping lines through it. And I don't know, do you sample artists that play it? If it, or does Amani play some of those uh, layers? Uh, we record many different musicians. So a lot of the sitar stuff we have, we recorded a long time ago. And um, we've used plenty of sample CDs over the years, but we've rely on them less and less, especially for uh, instruments because we know so many people that play. So if we really want a specific instrument, then usually we'll just get in touch with them and send them the song or send them an idea and have them record a bunch of stuff. And then we pick out what we like and edit it and tweak it out and put effects. Or whatever. Nice. And are they uh, just sending you a, a wave file or is it like a, a yeah. logic project with a loop over it? Um, no, they usually just send us the audio. Yeah. We okay. ask them to do several takes and then if there's something we really like that they did, we might send that back to them and ask them to expand on that idea. Cool. Nice. Oh, that's a great strategy. All right. So what is one of the best investments you've ever made? It could be time or money. Uh, but like, what's the best use of your like creative ability or, or thoughts uh, that you've put in to get to where you are musically? Right now, I would say it's my speakers. We're having really, really good monitor speakers in your studio is an absolute must. And I've worked with bad speakers in the past and and as soon as I got really, really great monitors, and of course I treat my room acoustically, as you can see in, in this video yep. right now, um, and that's super important too, but even in a well-treated room, if I had some speakers that weren't really giving me an accurate idea of what's going on, then forget about it. None of these synths, none of the stuff you do is gonna sound right when you play it out if you're you know, making it on crappy speakers. Great. So what, what monitors do you have, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I use monitors from the company called Quested. Quested. Yeah. Okay. And do you have one sub, stereo sub? I have one sub. I have a JBL sub. Cool. Um, now, out of kind of curiosity, when you're mixing lower frequencies or bass, is it all mono? Generally, yes. Um, Anything below like a hundred or maybe a little underneath that is, it's not a strict rule. It's mostly you would want to do that because it's, it's really not that directional and most clubs, their bass is in mono and um, it depends every now and then if a certain bass sound can be in stereo, but even then you might want to separate the mid, the, the lower mids and upper mids of the, of the bass from its sub range and put the sub in mono because it can cause phasing issues and it's just, I don't know, everything's in mono below that usually. So I mean, kick drums almost always mono. You might have a kick drum that the high end of it is a bit stereo and you might want to keep that as well, but even that is pretty good. Okay. So all the, if you were to put an effect on it, you make sure that the effect is not spreading the sound stereo. Yeah. I mean, most of the time you're not going to hear that anyways. Yep. So yeah, I mean, most people say to, to put that in mono, but there is the exception. Fair enough. Uh, now are you experimenting or, or mixing? I don't have a sound set up, so I can't really tell. Uh, but are you, 
doing quadraphonic, octophonic sound? No, no, just stereo. All right. Um, so what advice would you give to a musician starting out today? Um, I would tell a musician today that to learn first as much as they can just about any DAW that they're going to use. You know, to, that, that is really your, your workstation, that's your hub. Um, so to learn everything they can about that and, and what everything is. So really it is like go to school in a certain sense. And right now we don't have to pay to do that. You know, you can, you can get a lot of information for free on YouTube from a lot of really interesting people that are really good at what they do. Or you can subscribe to, you know, various websites that give courses and it's not that expensive. You pay them maybe a hundred dollars a year. Whereas if you were to go to school, which is great, people should go to school if they want to go to school. But, you know, if you don't have money and you just want to learn, you can take a course on Ableton or on Logic or whatever and, and learn quite a bit. And in those processes, if they say something that you don't really understand what it is they're talking about, you could go and find something on that specific topic that would explain it to you. So really school is on your laptop now. And it, it's really great. I mean, I use it all the time. I, I watch tutorials and try to learn new things all the time. So that's what I would do if I was just starting. That's great. Great advice. And I, I take it that you're watching more YouTube videos versus like reading the manual or reading articles. Is yeah, that Yeah, because when somebody explains something and you can see it visually, for me, it's just a lot easier to learn. And... And I've just found certain channels on YouTube that just have really good tutorials that really show you, they break it down step by step and they show you exactly how to use certain plugins or why they're doing certain things. I mean, there's guys that are, you know, mix engineers that have mixed some of the biggest artists in the world and they post tutorials and do master classes and stuff like that. And, and they show you all kinds of tricks that, you know, unless you learned that stuff in, from the beginning, like they did or something, you know, you probably don't know these tricks or there's just like one thing they do. And you're just like, Oh wow, that's so cool. And, and that's the awesome thing about our technology right now is that like I said, school is just on your laptop. You can learn everything. Yeah. Any, any channel or two that you feel like shouting out to? Um, I've been, Really enjoying uh, Waves. The Waves plugin company has a really great channel on YouTube, and I've been learning so much great stuff about their plugins and Universal Audio plugins. And um, Fab Filter has great plugins, and their EQ is probably the you know, for me it's the best EQ out there. And and there's great tutorials that just really break it all down. And um, and then there's just a lot of individuals that have that are just producers and. They're just showing you stuff that they do. It may not be the way to do something, but it's how they do it. And it's like, it's pretty cool because it shows you shortcuts and just easy ways to do stuff that maybe sounds complicated. That's great. So um, when you sit down and you're aiming to, to make a song and it's just, something's just not clicking, you're not focused, you're not motivated, inspired, whatever it is, what do you do? Um, well, maybe not make music or, um, lately I've been finding that 
that learning something new inspires me to make a track. And so if I'm really not feeling something, maybe I'll switch to another song even, or I'll just take a step aside from it, throw on the YouTube channel, start, you know, pick something that seems interesting and then try to do what they're showing me. And that usually leads to, you know, wanting you start to hear it. Cause me, for me, I, I make a lot of my music off of what I hear in my head. So I'll, I'll hear what to do in my mind of the next idea, the baseline or the groove that I want to get going. And, and sometimes I just don't hear it and it takes a while to start to hear the ideas. And so sometimes just taking a break and watching some tutorials or just, you know, even just take a break from doing music at all or something else might be what you need to do and just get away from the studio for a minute. Yeah. So maybe, maybe this ties into it, but, uh, it seems like you guys are very well traveled. You, you've been all over the place. Uh, at least some of the photos that I've seen, you got some photos from Egypt and Asia. And, um, so I'm curious, what are some of the most inspiring countries or singular that you've traveled to? Well, we really enjoy going to Israel. The crowd there is super enthusiastic about all kinds of different music. Um, and they, they really get into psychedelic music and tribal music and you know, left field music in general. So we get a really good reaction from the crowd there. Um, certain things about the country that are just really great. They, they eat really good food. Um, they, they just seem to, uh, you know, everybody's pretty smart. You meet people there and they're pretty smart. Um, I've really enjoyed Brazil. Uh, Desert Dwellers hasn't played there, but I've played there on my own and I've had an amazing time there. But, you know, I was on a beach in Brazil and, you know, like, you can't go wrong really with that. I know that certain parts of Brazil can be a bit scary. Um, yeah, we, we definitely had an interesting time when we were in Egypt and it was beautiful to be at the pyramids, but the country was in the middle of a revolution at that time. And so it was really weird to be there, you know, the, the government was really strict at that time and they were trying to impose a kind of strict um, Islamic government at that time. And and so a lot of people who grew up there and lived there their whole lives were very kind of you know, religious but secular in, in as far as government and, and you know, being able to do what they want and have fun and stuff. And, and there was a kind of strict thing happening. So the vibes there were really intense at that time. So we actually were really happy to leave would love to go back because it was we really wish we could have explored but it was just too tense um maybe someday we love bali as well we really enjoy going to bali it's a super awesome place nice costa rica the list is long warm and beaches usually is yeah good good combo yeah all right so kind of in the similar note uh what, what's your favorite venue that you've ever played or, or favorite performance that you've ever given? I guess you can't really be playing music at the pyramids, the great pyramids. Um, but like I said, when we were there, it was a bit, a bit of a tense time. So there was, it wasn't really like a let loose type of experience. So I wouldn't say we, it was like the, the greatest gig experience. It was really neat, you know, for a special to play there. Um, 
But I think that Australia is probably a favorite kind of like maybe rainbow serpent for me anyways. I don't know. Imani might have his own, but for me, every time we go to Australia and play rainbow serpent or earth frequency festival, or even the, the gigs in Melbourne or whatever, like, man, it is so fun to play there and people are so into it and just have this kind of wild rambunctious energy about them. They're just crazy. You know? And they're super fun. And I love being around them. And in a way it mirrors I say that the Australian festival and and party scene mirrors the U.S. in a way, but they like music that I like more, whereas the USA doesn't really appeal to me musically. Yeah, yeah, well said. So it seems like in your music, you're you're incorporating all of your travels, all of your discoveries sonically. I wanted to dive into um, a few few songs, Dreams Within Dreams. It has uh, so many different textures and sounds that are very interesting to me. You got pulsing electronic bass and like these vocals that are that are really light, uh, airy vocals and um, all kinds of like bells and didgeridoos. Or, um, so I'm curious, how do you pull those sounds out of the air and decide that these all go together? Most of the albums on Breath, we started with with a vocal. Um, our singer, Megan Chandler, who's the vocalist on that track, she sings in like six or seven different languages. Wow. And um, so we asked her to come up with songs that were relating to breath, air, wind, um, that go with the theme of the album and pick um, classical folk songs of different cultures that were also um, also legally free to use. We weren't, weren't copyright infringing. Um, so she 
we gave her um, a bunch of different simple drones and grooves. So we gave her that one in the key of A, and or she told us that the track is in the key of A, I believe, in that one. And so we gave her just a drone in the key of A and a very simple groove at the tempo. I think that one's at 90. And and she sang the the vocal. She did the vocal for it. And from there, you we get the idea of the key changes because we go by the vocal. So then we start writing sounds and parts, bass and whatever, to the vocals. And so on that, she does key changes and we move the bass with her, with her voice. We keep the bass steady. Normally, when she sings, we move the bass with her voice. And so then, you know, we the song is in Spanish and it, it's a... It's a flamenco track, and we know a flamenco guitarist, so we asked him to record on it, and he gave us all the crazy guitar. And then I met this guy in L.A., Afshin, who I met him in a backyard party in Venice Beach, and he plays the Santor, and he was just there at this people's house, and he started playing the Santor, and I was like, holy shit, this guy's it was crazy because he's so good. And I asked him if he would record and, and, um, there were, I felt like what he did could oddly work in that track. You know, the Santor isn't a flamenco instrument. It's a Persian instrument, but I thought, wow, this could be really cool in that track. You know, he could just play along with it and I bet it works. And, and so he recorded on that and he recorded on the uh, breathing, breathing the mysteries and and so, um, or maybe he didn't record on Breathing Mysteries. No, that was yeah, right. He didn't record on that one. It was just dreams within a dream. Um, and it just worked. You know, it just, I played him the song. He heard it. I didn't even think we had guitar in it at that point. Um, I think the guitar came after that. And we had our friend Linda Arnold play the flute on it. And, you know, we just, with her, we just gave her, like, I think she plays on like five or six songs on the album. And we just gave her what we were working on with each one and she just recorded on them and she just knows what to do. And so the flute worked really well. And then we wrote a bunch of synth parts and things to it. And, and I don't know what else is in that track that we, that we recorded. There was a bunch of other stuff. And, but really it's just about the vocal first with those and knowing it's a flamenco track and that leads, okay, well, we know this guy that plays flamenco guitar and, and he rips it. You know? So he's one of the best guys out there. He's really well known. So, and he happened to owe us a favor at that point. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So it's pretty cool how you you take in all these uh, live influences and people that you know and connections that you built, uh, and build the track around it. And I'm wondering, and maybe it happens less and less frequently, but I would imagine that it has to have happened in the past that. You wanted somebody to be on a track and whatever they sent you just doesn't work. You know, how do you approach that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I won't say which track or which vocalist, but yeah, there's a track yeah. on breath that we have vocals on. And we had had those vocals in our library for many years and we just never really found a way for them to work. We just, we didn't really like them. Um, but we did something with them on this track that changed them and it all of a sudden they just worked and 
you know, we thought we would never use those vocals. Um, and, and there was even guitar stuff on that album that we recorded like in 2005 that just never worked in anything. And wow. all of a sudden were the, just the perfect thing for a song. Um, but if we, if we get something that we don't like or it just doesn't work, you either are going to want them to do something else. So you just tell them it didn't work and you want them to do something else or you just, you know, you just never use it. Yeah. And it happens. And, I mean, you know, it's, it's no big deal really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that uh, some people would be, you know, hesitant to uh, cut something and in, in a worrying about offending somebody. But, uh, well, I mean, you know, sometimes people are going to get offended, that's but that's true. their problem. That's true. You know, I mean, if you're nice to them about it and you're just like, oh, I don't know, it just didn't work. I'm sorry. You know, and they get mad. Well, hmm, that's not your fault. And I, I've, I've had that situation happen. And I've had those people come back at a later time and apologize. And, you know, they were hurt. And yeah. I understand they were hurt. But that's their, you know, issue to deal with, really. And, you know, you can only be as honest and nice as you can. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. Absolutely. And you got to keep that, that threshold high uh, yeah. for quality. Yeah. You can't you compromise. Can't, I mean, if you don't like something, you don't like it. It's no big deal. It happens. Yeah. No, I don't like stuff we do all the time. You know, like we make something and be halfway done with something and just be like, scrap it. this. Scrap yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, how do you organize all your tracks? I mean, if you're pulling something from 15 years ago, I imagine you guys are creating audio files on a weekly basis, at least, uh, you know, you probably have thousands of audio files. How are you discovering, rediscovering vocals or guitar take? from 15 years ago? Well, do you have like a method been, of organizing? We've been semi, mostly organized. Um, in the last couple of years, we recently reorganized. And so now it's even easier, but you know, we just keep it like one folder is instruments and there it's just each instrument name, guitars, bass, you know, sitars, whatever it is. And then we'll have drums and it'll be percussion and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, effects or whatever, atmospheric stuff. And, and then, you know, we can even go into there and organize it even better. And as we go along, we continue to try to organize things better and better to make it easier for us. And, and if we hear something that we know we're never going to use or is just, you know, taking up space, try to delete it. And, you know, but it, there's a lot of stuff we have that we haven't used and probably never will use that, you know, we just haven't really gone around to getting rid of it. But yeah, we're, we keep our stuff pretty well organized. Yeah, well, it's, it's, too it's a challenge. Yeah, it, it hinders the workflow too. Yeah, if you're, if you're just looking why, for that's why we went in and reorganized again because it was stuff was getting scattered and and my library wasn't the same as Amani's library and and so we like we're like all right, we gotta we gotta make this better and we had some time, so we just did it. So. Out of so I use Logic as well. Um, are you duplicating the files and drag, you know, putting them into the audio files folder of each project? That way you can reorganize. Yeah, where we it's consolidate. From. We consolidate each project um, so that we can. Because I mean, up until recently, we lived in two different states, so um, we've been working remote for you know twenty years, and. Um, so we were sending full logic projects back and forth. So everything needs to be in there. 
Um, so yeah, we consolidate the projects and it, it saves the duplicates and it takes up more space. But when we finish tracks and and stuff, we archive them in a separate place and keep them off our computers and hard drives and stuff. Nice. And and when you said consolidate the uh, the project, are you talking about making it into a single file as opposed to the folder? No, you consolidate it as project folders. In Logic, oh, okay. under the file, you can go down and there's a consolidate uh, feature. Okay. And it will make sure that all the audio files, all your sampler instrument files, uh, the alchemy things, everything, they're all in one project folder. Okay. And then, you know, the folder becomes quite big if it's a big project, but that's the way it goes. And you just yeah. send that, you know, we use Dropbox and just send it back and forth to each other. Nice, nice. That's a great workflow. Um, so you are releasing so much music uh, and, and frequently you and Amani focus on remixes. So you guys um, have created an album of remixes yourself. Uh, your, um, let's see, Great Mystery was, re I had two remix albums and this newest album has had two remix albums. And Three. I think you're working okay, on... Third. You're working on a third. It's done, but yeah. And so I think that's kind of uh, uh, unique in in a way, in the sense that like I don't think most artists would release three remix albums of an original. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, we we found that this strategy is super effective for us. Um, it it really it's effective on multiple level levels. Basically one album can become four. And so we aren't the type of artists that produces albums really fast. Um, as you saw, there was a, a big space between the great mystery and breath. Um, a lot of that had to do with touring all the time. This year we we're not touring anymore like everybody. So we're, we're making a lot of music. Um, but it's so, yeah, you get, you get multiple albums out of one which keeps you fresh in people's minds. And these days, people's attention span is really short. Um, and even the appetite for full albums isn't even really there. I mean, like certain tracks would do really well and other tracks don't do so well. And maybe they're all just as good, but like some, for some reason, people aren't attached to albums as much anymore. So even doing albums is kind of a strange thing these days, but we still like to do albums. And... And the remixes also give us fresh material for our sets. And right now it's not as important because we're not touring. Um, but when, when we're touring all the time and you're playing every single weekend, sometimes multiple times a weekend, it gets boring to play the same music. And then if you're playing in the same towns, like if you play in LA one, in one month and then two months later you're playing there again, it's really good to have some different music, yeah. a different set, you know, and we don't want to be that artist that plays the same set in the same towns over and over and over and over and over. Um, so having all these remixes gives us new material for our sets. Um, so it's really effective on that. And, um, and it just bides us time. You know, it allows us time to, to make new music and, and not feel like super pressured to always have our own new music because we have all these remixes and it really helps us build a community 
you know, we've we've gotten to know a lot of artists by doing and having them do remixes and stuff. So, and oftentimes it's, it's a remix exchange. So we're doing remixes of them and they do remixes of us. So it's just this, it's really an effective strategy. And I'm surprised that a lot of other artists don't do it. Um, they might do one remix album, you know, remix EP or something like that. But on the other side of it, it's a lot of work. And it's work that pretty much we have to do ourselves because we, you know, we establish these relationships with all these different artists. And in the case of the Breath remix albums, the first one was all artists that we're really familiar with and friends with. So actually it's not so difficult. I mean, it's still a bit of herding cattle, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it takes time and, you know, people are slow and some people are fast. Like one guy will deliver his remix in two weeks and the other guys will take a year, you know, and the guy who delivered really fast is like, Hey, when's my remix coming out? You know? So it's a tricky situation. It takes a lot of work, a lot of patience. Um, but with volume two and volume three of breath, we were working almost entirely with artists that we don't have, an established relationship with there's only like maybe five on the two albums that we know you know that that were pretty easy to bring on board and we're you know we didn't have to like send a cold call email to you know like just hey we really love your music will you remix us without taking a fee for the most part you know because yeah it's like you don't make a lot of money off releasing music so it's hard to to pay people big advances and stuff so we're asking them to work on spec for an artist they don't really know, you know, and a lot of them haven't heard of us. You know, so it was very tricky. It took a lot of patience because we got turned down by a lot of people. I would say for every artist that said yes, probably five said no. So it took a long time just to secure the artists and get it all going and then get the remixes and get the artwork done. I mean, it's, it's taken a long time. The part two was, you know, a good year and a half about a year or more of working on it and part three the same and and then covid hit and you know people were like you know in this weird state of mind so it took even longer and you know so it really i mean we thought we were going to release volume two of breath at the end of last year and it just came out you know, and volume three will come out in october and i figured we would be releasing that in march so that's that's how you know quite the process we go through yeah, well, it's great. I think it's such a, a useful opportunity to collaborate and to cross-pollinate uh, fans. Absolutely. You know, we, we have our own fan base and they have their own fan base. And one of our goals in doing these remix albums is to expose each other's fan bases to, to one another and help each other grow. And it really helps us grow as an artist and to do remixes and be remixed. And, and absolutely it helps them. We've, we've seen artists go from not being that well known to having a lot of our fans be their fans by remixing us. And that we really enjoy watching that happen. And, you know, we want to build these people up and, and help them and, and hopefully they'll, they'll reciprocate. Yeah. And so I imagine it's, it's got to be a similar dynamic to using people's samples or uh, um, vocal lines or, or takes instrument takes uh some remixes might not quite hit the chord that you know or you know the spot that you're looking for yeah. uh they are off in some way or another mm -hmm. and 
how do you deal with those situations? Do you just cut them or just say We've thanks? Turned down, we have turned down remixes and, and that can be tricky. It has hurt feelings. Um, some people are better at dealing with stuff like that than others. We've had a couple of our remixes turned down over the years and, you know, amongst ourselves, we'd be like, but crazy, that remix is great. You know, <laughs> of course um, their ears are broken, but <laughs> you know, it is what it is. That's, that's the nature of, of music. If you're not able to deal with rejection, then you're probably in the wrong business. Um, and it hurts sometimes and you might get mad, but you just, you know, maybe it's best to vent it amongst yourselves and get over it and, and move on. And it's not the end of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm curious, when are you most productive? Like, do you, do you work in kind of waves of, you know, like, are you super productive for a week or two and then take a couple of weeks off? Are, do you typically wake up in the morning, try and make music or you stay up all night making music? How does it, how do you work best? Um, I myself, I mean, I would say that there's two different realities. There's like the pre COVID reality and right now, um, when we're touring all the time, usually on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm a bit tired and kind of recovering and we don't party ourselves very often. So we're not like recovering from being high or something and we don't drink. So we're not like hungover, but when you travel to two or three cities in a weekend and you don't get a lot of sleep, you're just tired. And so usually during the weeks I would be a bit tired and it would take until like Tuesday or so to start getting back into the flow. And then by the time I'm really back in the flow on Thursday, Friday comes around and it's time to leave again. So actually when you're touring, it's hard to make a lot of music. And I, I myself am not really good at making music on the road. Amani is, is much better at that than I am. Right now, you're home all the time. So I wake up, I have breakfast, I do some emails, catch up on things. And then I just work on music all day and I take breaks in between that. And then at night, usually my girlfriend goes to bed a bit earlier than I do. And I'll be up till a bit later and sometimes continue working on music, but sometimes I'm just kind of winding down as well. But yeah, nice. definitely more time these days to, to just zone out in the music world, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you guys are working on that might be in the in the near future for somebody listening? Well, we have a, a remix coming out this week, actually, from James Monroe, who's like a really famous uh, Psytrance and techno producer. And he did a techno remix of us a while back that we hadn't released, so we're finally releasing that. Um, and we have... I have a new label called Dreaming Awake and we have some really good releases coming out on that. And then Amani has some stuff coming out on Desert Tracks. Um, we just had a remix of Nanosphere come out. It's kind of like a side dubstep remix and we haven't done something like that in a little while. And, and then the Breath Reimagined Volume 3 comes out in October and that's, that's a, you know, the final remix album of that. And it's, it's really, really cool albums. It's all up-tempo remixes. So like techno house, progressive house styles, um, deep tech sounding stuff. So it's like all 120 and faster. And we got some really, really big names in that field to, to remix us and some friends as well to bring up the up and coming. So, so I, I was uh, going to ask both of you, but since, since uh, 
it's just you here. You're kind of on the spot, but I was going to ask like, what's your X factor? Like, what do you bring that maybe Amani doesn't bring or that, um, you know, that maybe he doesn't quite see the same picture in sound that you do. Like when you guys are co-creating a track, what do you bring? What's your X factor? Well, I mean, both of us can, can do the whole thing. We have our solo projects. Um, we make music on our own all the time. So, I mean, we can do tracks start to finish ourselves. Um, but him and I are very polar opposites in many ways. Um, you know, he, he grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, his, his upbringing was really, I think in a way softer than mine because his parents in the way that they are is very spiritual and, you know, he's been into Buddhism his whole life and stuff like that. And, and I grew up in East LA and in Los Angeles with kind of a rough, edgy, you know, a harder vibe, you know? So I think like Amani brings this like atmospheric and textural and, and very soft musical side to what we do. And, and I make it, edgy and rough and, and kind of aggressive, you know? So, um, so I think it, it, it complements each other really well. And, and I think that's why with desert dwellers, we're able to be worldy and, 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 and kind of, uh, atmospheric, but with a strong beat and a strong bass and, and an edgy thing to it that gives it a roughness that still makes it kind of like a, a raw kind of sound um because you know for me like when i listen to world music it's often too like the beats are so they're just not really there's no edge to it you know and and um and then you listen to some electronic stuff that's just too mechanical and so i think we, we balance that out with each other pretty well yeah yeah i i would agree with that and i've i've seen you guys perform live and i noticed that either he's on halftime or you're on double time, but like you guys move at a different pace on stage. Yeah. And I think it uh, kind of resembles the the layers that you're thinking about or working on actively. And yeah. We're very different people. Yeah. Uh, so this, uh, this one's just like quick call and response. Um, so favorite three VSTs or plugins. Waves, Ovox, um, fab filter Q3 and hmm, kind of tough to pick a third offhand. Let's see. I guess just any really good compressor. <laughs> For sure. Cool. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listener or parting words, inspiring thoughts, uh, questions? Oh, I would just tell everybody to let's all be, you know, conscious of this time and, and, um, and be caring about each other and do what we need to do to, to uh, get us through this weird moment in time through this virus issue. Um, I see a lot of people wanting to argue about it and stuff rather than just do the very simple things that have proven that can get us through this. You know, just 
we don't need to party right now. We can take a break. Um, you know, we can put on our masks for those 15 or 20 minutes we're at the supermarket and stop whining about it. And we can, you know, stop trying to turn it into some big thing that it's not, you know, and just get through it. Like we, we need to, we need to care about each other more and, and um, get through this so we can all get back to work and move on with our lives. Like we don't want to spend the next three years having to stay in our houses because people are too stubborn to just do some few simple things, you know, so I think that people need to stop being so selfish and care about each other. And, and I would like to see that happen a lot more. That's for sure. Great. And where can people reach out? Let's say, you know, um, somebody wants to reach out to you, find your music, find your social profiles. Where's the best, best yeah, links search, for you? If you search for desert dwellers, it leads you to everything. Um, you know, we have our own solo projects. Amani has a uh, liquid bloom. Um, I have a project called Fusen. It's P H E U Z E N. And I have another project called forever and ever. And I release stuff under Trevor moon tribe as well. So we have sound clouds, um, band camp, all of the above. We have our label dreaming awake. I mean, uh, desert tracks that we run. And then I have my own label called dreaming awake. It's kind of newer. So yeah, we have many different projects and I think if, if you read up on, on us in general, you easily find all these things. Cool. Well, Trevor, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, thanks for sharing thank all you. your... Thank you very much. Appreciate it. ...ideas and wisdom with, with everybody listening. Right on. Take care and uh, be safe out there. Thank you for listening to the Frio Music Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, consider donating to our patron program. You can learn more about our patron program at freomusic.com forward slash support. Even $1 a month can help us pay the bills and create more quality content for you. If you enjoyed what you heard or gained any tiny nuggets of wisdom from the show, please leave a comment and rating on your preferred podcast platform. Please take a minute to rate the podcast now. Your ratings really do make a huge impact on search results and can help other people find the show and the music that we feature. If you really love the podcast and don't want to miss an episode, you can subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released by visiting freomusic.com forward slash P. Or if you really want to type it all out, freomusic.com forward slash podcast. That's F-R-E-I-O-M-U-S-I-C dot com forward slash p if you know somebody who might enjoy the content of this podcast please share it with them your contributions and support make this podcast possible until next time stay tuned